Mark 15, 33 to 39. We remember this is God's Word, page 1023 of the Pew Bibles. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, if you have a Bible, then please do turn with me to a passage that we read together from Mark chapter 15. Tonight we're going to be thinking about the cross and the events described for us in that passage in Mark chapter 15, and particularly just one line from that reading, the line where Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's sometimes called the cry of dereliction. You might have heard it described as that before. You know, the words that Jesus, Jesus utters as he experiences the forsakenness of the cross. And of course, there is a sense in which the whole of Jesus' ministry has been building towards this point. In morning times here in church, we've been looking at Jesus' life and ministry from Matthew's gospel for some time now. And everything that's happening in his life and ministry is building towards his death and ultimately his resurrection. And so the events that are described for us here, his death namely, and then later his resurrection, are the most significant events in the Gospels. But they are also the most significant events in the big story of the Bible. Because from the opening pages of the biblical story, we have been waiting for the promised rescuer, the one who will come and crush our enemies of sin, death, hell, and the devil. And finally here we have this great and ultimate confrontation taking place. Here, Jesus Christ, the offspring of Eve, clashes against the forces of evil. In fact, not only does he clash against them, he takes the very forces of evil into himself. He suffers for the sins of the world. And so as we come to think about this passage, as we come to think about this line, let's remember to put it in its place in the wider biblical story. These events described for us here are the most significant in the history of the world. So as we explore this question for the next 20 minutes or so, I want us to see three things. First of all, we'll think about the cry that Jesus makes from the cross, and then the significance of the word why in the question, and then finally the significance of the word my. So it's easy to remember, it all rhymes, cry, why, and my, and we'll go through those in order uh, for about 15 or 20 minutes or so here. So first of all, then, the, the cry 
that Jesus makes from the cross. It reminds us or points us to the fact of Jesus' death, the reality of his death. In our culture, there are lots of different ideas about the death of Jesus and what really happened and what it all might mean for us today. But what I think the cry that Jesus makes from the cross shows us is that these events really happened, and they happened in the way that Mark describes to us here. So look at verse 34 with me. It says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. That word is is probably better translated screamed or even shrieked. It's only actually used a couple of other times in the New Testament, both in Luke's gospel, and on those occasions, they're used, it's used in situations of real desperation. So in Luke chapter 9 and verse 38, it is used by the father of a demon-possessed boy who is begging Jesus to heal his son. It says, a man in the crowd called out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son for he is my only child. If that was you in that situation, you would shriek or scream with desperation, wouldn't you? And then it's also used again in Luke chapter 18 and verse 38. It's a blind beggar at the side of the road and Jesus is passing and it says, he called out, screamed, shrieked, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, if that was you in that situation, you would be screaming with desperation. And if you'd have been one of the people who was there witnessing what Jesus was going through on the cross, or even if you'd been one of the first readers of Mark's gospel, you might have got to this part of the story and you might well have thought to yourself, Jesus has cracked. Finally, after all of the torture, all of the suffering, he has finally lost it. He has given up. He is venting his anger and frustration at God. He has managed to put on a brave face until now, but it seems as though things have gotten too much for him, and so he is finally cracked. But to believe that would be a mistake. You see, what I think Mark wants us to see is not that Jesus is cracked, nor that he is venting his frustration at God, but rather he wants us to see that these events happened in the way that he describes for us here. Think about this with me for a second. If you were just looking to make all of this stuff up, if you were just looking to fabricate it in order to promote your religion, then why on earth would you have Jesus scream like this? No one who was just looking to make it all up would put their religion's founder in this position with these words coming out of his mouth. No one who was just making up the account would have depicted Jesus as so unheroic, so hopeless, if you were just looking to promote Christianity as a religion, then surely you would have Jesus die a much more noble and glorious death than this. I mean, think about, think about some of the great stories and movies that we love and think about how the heroes sometimes die in those stories. They die heroically and with great honor and valor, don't they? So two of my favorite films are Gladiator and Braveheart, right? So slight spoiler alert here. In both of those films, if you haven't seen them, the heroes die, right? They die heroically. Maximus dies when he's fighting in the Colosseum. William Wallace dies after he's executed by the English. But even in the humiliation of his execution, there's one last cry of defiance, isn't there, when he shouts freedom with his last breath? I'm not going to do it. Katrina will do it way better than me for you. But if you're looking to just start a religion, then surely you would have Jesus die like that. If you were just looking to make it all up, then no one in their right mind would have Jesus die in this way, uttering these words, so despondent, so unheroic, so, dare we say it, pathetic. And so the most logical conclusion 
is that actually when Mark wrote his gospel, he wasn't making it all up. Rather, he was simply seeking to tell the truth about what really happened. He is simply seeking to record eyewitness accounts of the events as they unfolded. And so this cry or shriek from the cross points us to the fact of Jesus' death. It ought to help convince us that this was a real event that really took place in the way that the gospel writer describes for us here. A real event that was imprinted forever in the hearts and minds of those who witnessed it. A real event that Mark wants to be imprinted on our hearts and minds forever. And so if you're a Christian here this evening, then you should be encouraged by this cry from the cross. It ought to encourage you to have confidence to believe in the fact and reality of Jesus' death. It is not just a made-up or exaggerated story. It really happened. And by the same token, if you're not a believer here this evening, perhaps you're skeptical about the claims of Christianity, then you must wrestle with this cry from the cross. How do you explain it? Why does Mark describe these events in this way? You must wrestle with the evidence and ask yourself, perhaps is there some truth in the claims of Christianity after all? So the cry points us to the fact, the reality of Jesus' death. Second thing that I want to look at is the why in this question that Jesus screams from the cross. Why did God forsake Jesus on the cross? Well, to begin to answer that question, we have to recognize that Jesus is actually quoting a Bible verse here. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is actually quoting a psalm. He's quoting Psalm 22 in verse 1. Well, why is that significant? Well, it suggests to us that even though he was in immense pain here, he knew exactly what was going on. He still has his wits about him, if you like. So why Psalm 22? Well, Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. It's a puzzling psalm in many ways. We know that King David wrote many of the psalms, and oftentimes There were reflections on different experiences in his life. So, for example, Psalm 51 was written after the death of his son and his affair with Bathsheba. Psalm 18 is written after God delivers him from the hand of Saul. Psalm 3 is written when he's fleeing from his son Absalom. But Psalm 22 is complex. Because when we read Psalm 22, we think, when did any of this ever happen to David? Because the words in the psalm don't seem to correlate to any event in David's life. Listen with me to some of the lines from Psalm 22. These aren't taken directly in order, but listen to me with some of the words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Many bulls surround me. Roaring lions open their mouths wide against me. A band of evil men surround me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You lay me in the dust of death. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So when did any of that ever happen to David? When did anyone ever pierce his hands and his feet? When were people surrounding him, hurling insults at him? When did they cast lots for his clothing? And the answer is they didn't. These events never happened to David. And so Psalm 22 is actually describing an execution scene. Did that ever happen to David? No, it didn't. 
And so what is happening here is that when Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22 on the cross, he is actually saying that by the power of the Holy Spirit, many years ago, David was pointing to me. Jesus is saying, I am the one being executed. I am the one David was writing about. Those experiences that he described are now happening to me. Judgment is now coming down on me. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross is a judgment scene. Why judgment? Because execution is a punishment. And so as he is executed, the picture that we're meant to get is that Jesus is being punished. How do we know that there's judgment going on here? Well, because there is darkness that has come over the whole land. You see that in verse 33. And darkness in the Bible, especially right throughout the Old Testament, is a picture or a metaphor for God's judgment. So think of, think of the 10 plagues in Egypt. 10th plague is the death of the firstborn, God's judgment coming down in the people of Egypt. But what's the ninth plague that precedes God's judgment? It's a plague of darkness. It is a picture of his judgment. And the fact here that darkness is spread over the whole land is a picture of the fact that God's judgment is over the whole human race. And so punishment is deserved. It has to come down somewhere. Sin has to be punished. God is holy and just. He detests sin. And so sin must be punished. We might not like that idea very much, But the truth is that unless we understand that God hates sin and that sin has to be punished, then actually it is impossible for us to understand the significance of what happens at the cross. We will never come to terms with this question of why God forsook Jesus unless we first see that all of humanity stands guilty before God and deserves punishment. So the picture is pretty bleak, right? The dark clouds of God's judgment lie over the whole land. There must be an execution. There must be punishment. And this is why Jesus was forsaken. Because the punishment that came down was not on us, not on those who deserved it, but upon him, the perfect and blameless one. He did not deserve it. And so Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him by his wounds. We are healed. And so that's the good news that lies right at the very heart of the Christian story, that Jesus was forsaken so that you and I never have to be, that Jesus was engulfed by the darkness of God's judgment so that you and I can walk in the light, that Jesus was forsaken by God for a time so that you and I might enjoy his presence forever. And so the why in this question points to the reason for Jesus' death. And it gets us right to the very heart of the Christian gospel. Unless we understand these things, then we won't understand Jesus properly at all. So the final word I want to look at this evening then is the my in this question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the my points us to the accomplishments of Jesus' death. It teaches us something of what the cross actually cost Jesus. You notice when Jesus says, my God, my God, you notice what he's not saying here? He's not saying, my head, my head. 
or my hands, my hands, or my feet, my feet, or my side, my side. Even though there's a crown of thorns on his head, there are nails in his hands and his feet, there is a spear in his side. He's not complaining about those things. At least he's not shrieking about those things. Nor is he saying, my friends, my friends, you've all abandoned me. My followers, my followers, you have all deserted me. The physical suffering, although horrendous, is not his problem here. The relational suffering, although heartbreaking, is not his problem here. You see, up until this point, and even through the trials of the Garden of Gethsemane, all of the injustice that came with his arrest and trial, Jesus has been incredibly collected, pretty poised, dare we say it, even composed. He calmly tells Peter in the garden, put down your sword. In the upper room with Jesus, or with Judas, he says to him directly, what do you have to do? Do it quickly. He is calm, poised, collected. Before Pilate, he is virtually silent. He seems very much in control of his emotions. Up until now, under horrendous physical suffering, painful relational rejection, blatant injustice, he has been pretty poised. But now, as he dies, he is shrieking, why? What's happening? Well, to answer that question, we have to think about Jesus' relationship with his Father here for a moment. And so let's think about the closeness and intimacy of their relationship. The Father and the Son, along with the Spirit, have existed in perfect relationship forever. Their relationship has always been absolute and complete perfection. Their very souls have always been wrapped up in one another, one God, three persons, blessed trinity. And while the unity of the divine trinity remains intact at the cross, it must do because God cannot change, it is also the case that Jesus is experiencing the most awful and horrendous forsakenness here. Donald McLeod has been really helpful for me in thinking about this and understanding it. He says this, he says, for Jesus... His father is out of reach, not listening. The intimacy is broken, an intimacy that had never been broken before. And so that's why he shrieks. In our human relationships with one another, we know something of the agony of the loss of intimacy occasionally, don't we? But we know nothing about loss of this magnitude because we have never known relationship of this level of intimacy. And so on the cross, as Jesus dies, he is experiencing the forsakenness of his Father. He is saying, it's you, Father. It's you that I have lost. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a deep intimacy in his language, even as Jesus experiences the loss of intimacy on a cosmic scale. There's a wonderful Scottish preacher called Robert Murray McShane. I hope this quote's going to be on the screen. This is what he said about what Jesus experienced here. He said he was without any comforts of God, no feeling that God loved him, no feeling that God pitied him, no feeling that God supported him. God was his son before, now that son became all darkness. He was without God. He was as if he had no God. All that God had been to him before was taken from him now. The ocean of Christ's sufferings is unfathomable. He was forsaken in the place of sinners. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
the answer for me. For me. You know, it's impossible for us, I think, to fully comprehend these things. I have wrestled with them this week. My head has hurt a lot. But as I've done so, I've been reminded again and again of just how incredible the cross of Jesus Christ really is. I hope this evening that we've got a little bit of a glimpse into just how much our Lord Jesus endured on our behalf, just how much he suffered so that we might go free. He dies as punished as the guilty one so that we who are actually the guilty ones might live and go free. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He takes the dark clouds of God's wrath and judgment so that we never have to. He is forsaken so that we can be welcomed and embraced. So the question for us then is, is how do we respond to what Jesus has done for us? For some of us here tonight, that might mean that we need to evaluate or re-evaluate what it is that we believe. Perhaps you're here and you have been interested in Jesus at some level, but you don't really think that you need him. In fact, you think that you can live your life pretty much without any reference to him whatsoever. Can I say to you graciously, I hope that the message of the cross means you must rethink that notion. In fact, the message of the cross is that you need Jesus more than you need anything else in the world. And then perhaps you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus. You know that you need him. You know that he has died for you. But perhaps if you're honest, in your heart, you know that these things need to matter so much more to you. Perhaps they don't matter to you as much as they once did. Perhaps there is a stillness or a coldness even in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Then tonight you are invited afresh to the foot of the cross. Indeed, you're invited afresh to his table. And as you see again with the eyes of faith, just how much Jesus loves you, just how much he has given up in order to win you, allow your heart to be softened and melted again by his love because nothing or no one else in the whole world will ever love you as much as Jesus does. And so in a few moments here, we're gonna have communion. We remind ourselves that this is personal, and that Jesus has done this for us. And, and even as you take communion, if you're taking communion, as you take the bread, remind yourself that this is for you. Even, even say it to yourself. The body of Jesus Christ broken for you. Even put your name in there. The body of Jesus Christ broken for you, Peter Wright. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for you, Peter Wright. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this evening for bringing us here to hear from your word. Thank you that even as we look at this one famous line from the Bible, we see so much that teaches us about what we're really like. We see just how deep our need for you really is. But we also see just how far Jesus was willing to go in order to rescue us. And so, Father, we thank you so much tonight for Jesus. We thank you that he obeyed you perfectly, even to the point of death. We thank you that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
We thank you that in him we have the hope and the promise of new life with you forever. And so we pray this evening that you will move these truths deeper and deeper into our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.